Hello and good evening. Welcome to episode eight of Dinnertime Discipleship, the Patel Family Podcast. I'm Neeraj, or Nick, your host, and I'm flanked by my lovely and intelligent and wonderful bride, Christine, and my three somewhat disobedient but generally acceptable kids, (laughs) Noah, who's 15, Eva, who's 13, and Leela, who is seven. Eva may be a little quiet tonight because she's struggling with a stomachache, but uh, she had some some bad food or something, so... uh, (laughs) Yeah, apparently not that bad. A spaghetti that she made, so go figure. Uh, if this is your first time, <laughs> throw me under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. If this is your first, well, so so the kids, the kids had a so this was Oyo night on your own. We call it Oyo night, O Y O, and that means everyone's fending for themselves. What that usually means is the kids eat some sort of crap while Christine and I eat something really nice. So tonight, the kids ate some apparently bad spaghetti that Christine made. <laughs> and Christine and I had some fadis uh, with some red wine, and I got her some Tiff's, Tiff's Treats cookies, and uh, we had a great time. So <clears throat> The kids, not so much. Yeah. Um, anyway, so if this is your first time listening to our podcast, uh, maybe you're wondering what we're hoping to achieve with it. It's really three things. One, it's just sort of a memento for us to look back on as a family and, you know, the great discussions we got to share. Uh, Two, it's really kind of an accountability tool for Christine and me to make sure that we're, you know, discipling our kids daily or almost daily, that we're talking to them about the things of God, uh, that we're challenging them and, and teaching them to understand and interpret the world around them. Um... And to like and to interact with it and influence it in the way that Jesus would have them do. And and finally, three, it's an encouragement to you to do the same with your children, to give you ideas, to spur discussions with your own family. So we hope you'll find it useful and encouraging and edifying. Uh, I do have really good news for the longest time. This podcast has been available on you know all the major podcast platforms like um, uh, iHeartRadio and uh, uh, Amazon. What is it called? Uh, Amazon Music, I guess. Is that right? I don't know that Amazon. I don't know the name of the Amazon podcast. Well, uh, we have Google Podcasts. I mean, it's it's been all the major podcast uh, platforms except for Apple and Pandora. Uh, but now we're finally up on Apple Podcasts uh, as well. So. Apple is still slowly loading all the episodes, but last time I checked, we had, I think, three or four of the seven episodes we've had so far, and I I expect the rest will go up shortly, so you can find us finally, uh, you can finally find us now on Apple as well, and we're still working on Pandora. Okay, so today, we're talking about a pretty contentious topic, uh, Israel and Palestine, You may have noticed that sometimes we study through Scripture, and sometimes we tackle current events that, that, you know, we we push our kids to think about them in a way that Jesus might want us to think about them. Uh, So today we're tackling this current event uh, with, you know, the latest battle between, or the skirmish between Israel and Palestine, which is not really a current event at all. It's just the most recent conflict among 
you know, in a series of conflicts that have lasted for thousands of years. So our kids don't really know much about the conflict, and, and neither do I, to be honest. Uh, but we're going to give a short summary and then start working through some of the hard and difficult questions about the conflict. So I'm going to start by reading Genesis chapter 16 and 17. Again, this is from the easy-to-read version, which, uh, true to its name, is easy to read. And uh, before we start, I just remembered looking at Leela that she reminded me last time that we should be praying before we start. I'm really bad about that. So let's go ahead and pray. Christine, could you lead us in prayer, please? Sure. Uh, Father God, we just thank you so much for... um just for giving us each other, for giving me this wonderful family, my my brilliant husband, my wonderful kids that are so sweet and caring. And I just thank you for the opportunity to um, discuss your word, um, discuss what it means to us, discuss what it teaches us about you, God, because we love you and we want to learn more about your character. And I pray that this discussion tonight would be fruitful, um, that we would learn ways that we can... Um, be compassionate, ways to think critically about situations from all different angles. And I pray that this conversation would help us to understand you most of all and um, the way that we fit into the world and fit into this big picture of um, the way that history is playing out in front of us. Um, I know that you have an important role for us, God, and I pray that we don't ever think that we we don't have an important part to play in your story um, I thank you again for this evening, and thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> okay, Genesis chapter 16 and 17. Here's the story. And, and you guys remember the characters, right? Abraham? At, well, his name was Abram at the time. Yeah, his name got changed to Abraham. Mm-hmm. So his name was Abram, A-B-R-A-M. What was his wife's name? Close. Really close to, actually, Eva, it's really close to your middle name. Just take away one letter. (laughs) (laughs) Like what, saran wrap? No. (laughs) Sarai, S-A-R-A-I. You were right when you said Sarah, but her her original name was Sarai, just like Abraham's original name was Abram. Abram. God changed them. And there was one more character. Anybody know who it was? The maid. What was her name? What? Seven. Seven. No. Seven. <laughs> I give you a hint. There's an old rock legend. His first name is Sammy. What's the last name? They're not going to know that. <laughs> Hagar. Fish. No. Okay, let's move Hagar. on. Okay. Again, Genesis chapter 16. Sarai was Abram's wife, but she did not have any children. She had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarai told Abram, The Lord has not allowed me to have children, so sleep with my slave. Maybe she can have a son, and I will accept him as my own. Abram did what Sarai said. So you understand what's happening? Sarai couldn't have kids. Abram and Sarai were married, and Sarai couldn't give any kids to Abram. So Sarai said, Why don't you go have kids with my maid? And whatever baby that the maid has, that baby will become ours. We'll just take it from her. And so that baby will become Sarai's baby. That was the agreement. It's very rude to, to Hagar, isn't it? Okay. Yes, Eva. Baby. Oh, 
Sarai, S-A-R-A-I. Maybe that's right. I don't know. So I have a question, um, a little bit of a backstory question here. Um, why was it that Abram and Sarai were so eager to have children? Hey, forget the weird sounds coming from outside and focus on uh, your mom's question. Why were they so eager to have kids? Very good. Yeah, God Wait, promised them. Didn't they have kids when they were a hundred? Like she couldn't, uh, she couldn't give birth, but she still gave birth when she was. That was kid. after this story. That's that coming to tell up you. in a minute. Okay. So God promised Abram and Sarai beforehand, "I'm going to make you the father of a great nation." Well, they don't have any kids, so they're kind of going, "Huh? How am I going to be the father of a great nation if I don't have any kids? So this was their solution to that. They said, well, we're just going to have Hagar have a baby for me. But that wasn't what God promised. So they were trying to hurry God up. God had a timetable, and they thought that it wasn't going quick enough. They didn't trust God. But it wouldn't make sense to do that because um, you can mess up God's plan, like, no matter what you do, it's still going to happen. Whatever God says will still happen. Well, you should explain that to Abram. <laughs> um, he didn't have the Bible to look at and, and so learn those things. Okay, so let's keep moving. <clears throat> so Abram did what Sarai said. So after living 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai gave her Egyptian slave to Abram as a second wife. So this is important. Abram didn't just have a baby with the, with the with Hagar, the maid, the slave. Abram married Hagar. So now Abram has two wives, Sarai and Hagar. And he's going to have a baby with Hagar. And that baby is supposed to become Sarai's baby. Sarah's going to take it from Hagar, which is like kind of a terrible thing, right? Well, Hagar will know, but Hagar's a slave. So what, who cares what Hagar says, right? Forget Hagar. So I'm just... I'm just asking. That, that's what they were thinking. I'm just asking this because I'm curious. Yeah. But uh, did he have to marry Hagar just so it's not sexual immorality? Uh, so that's a great question. I don't I don't know if that's why uh, Abram married Hagar. I do know that Moses had, I mean, the law that was given to Moses and to the Israelites had not, that hadn't happened yet. The Red Sea, the Ten Commandments, none of that's happened yet. So... So Abram has not received any law from God that I'm aware of. Oh, yes. And, and so would it be considered sexual immorality? Well, maybe, but Abram doesn't really have any rules to live by yet yes. that we know of. So, so maybe, maybe not. <clears throat> Can I uh, interject real quick? In, in chapter 15 of Genesis, um, Abram, <clears throat> God, there's a conversation going on between God and Abram that I think it's important to, to point out. Um, this is... Um, chapter 15, verse 4. The word of the Lord came to Abram and said, this man, this other person who is supposed to be the, the, the heir who is not Abram's son, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So he's saying you're gonna you're gonna have enough offspring, children, grandchildren, great grandchildren, and so on. That when you look up at the stars, there's gonna be that many. 
You guys need to understand this carefully, okay? This is very important. Abram is probably the most fam- one of the most famous ancestors in the world, okay? And what I mean by that is, I mean, obviously Abram himself had ancestors, right? But Abram is one of the most famous because he is, he is really the, an- the main ancestor of all the Jewish people in the world. And he is the main ancestor of all the Arab, pe- Arab people in the world, ethnically Arab people in the world. Okay, that's a huge percentage of the of the world's population. So all Arab people are descendants of Abram. Not all of them. It's kind of complicated, but a, a large percentage of them are. And um, the Jewish people also are, dis- and not all Jews, because some Jews converted. Right? They weren't originally Jews, but the ethnic people who were originally Israelites, they are descended from Abram as well, or Abraham. So Abraham is a major ancestor of. A, huge, a, a very large percentage of the world's population. That's imp- including you guys, by the way. You have uh, this Jewish blood in you as well. So that's important for you guys to understand, okay? So um, so after living 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah gave her Egyptian slave, Hagar, to Abram as a second wife. Abram slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. Lila will explain that later. <laughs> When Hagar realized this, she became very proud and began to feel that she was better than Sarai, her owner. Then Sarai said to Abram, my slave girl now hates me and I blame you for this. I gave her to you and she became pregnant. Then she began to feel that she's better than me. I want the Lord to judge which of us is right. Okay, so understand what's happening. Sarai wanted to give Abram a baby, but she couldn't do it. Something was wrong with her body. So she said, Abram, have a baby with Hagar instead. So Abram said, okay, and he had a baby with Hagar. And now that Hagar was pregnant, Hagar is like, hmm, look at me. You know, she's, she's going in front of Sarai and saying, I have a baby. I could give your husband a baby or our husband a baby, and you couldn't do it. You're a loser, and I'm not a loser. And so Sarai's feeling very what? Maybe. Nose. What did you say, Lila? Say it really. Maybe jealous. Yes. Jealous. She's feeling jealous. That's the word I'm looking for. But Abram said to Sarai, she is your slave. You can do anything you want to her. So Sarai was cruel to Hagar and Hagar ran away. So Sarai sounds kind of like a, not a cool person, right? Wicked Wicked stepmother. (laughs) The angel of the Lord found Hagar. Okay. So let me explain this to you. Uh, this son that Hagar is about to have, this baby, it's a son, it's a boy, and his name is going to be is it Isaac. Wrong. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Isaac. It starts with an I. Oh, Ish- Ishmael. Ishmael. His name is Ishmael. No, you're no, thinking of somebody else. Jacob and Esau. <laughs> so, Ish- Ishmael. What? Crazy right here. Ishmael, we got to keep moving. We got a lot of stuff to get through. Ishmael is the first son of Abram. He's the firstborn of Abram. And he is the ancestor of a lot of the the Arab people today. Okay? This is important. Don't forget this part. The Arab people, Lila, one of their, Ishmael is an ancestor of a lot of those Arab people. Okay? 
And we're going to talk also about Abram's second son, Isaac, who is the ancestor of a lot of the Jewish people. So, if Abram had a son named Ishmael, and Abram had a son named Isaac, what is the relationship between Ishmael and Isaac? And Jacob. No. No. Jacob is Isaac's son. I'm saying, what is the relationship between Ishmael and Isaac? They're half-brothers, right. They share a father and have different mothers. And they've been fighting ever since then, up till today. That's the, that's the main idea of the but story. Still, they're still fighting today because of them. Their descendants are fighting today, not because of them, but they've been fighting since then. This, this problem started, you could say this problem started with Sarai and uh, Hagar, and it's been continuing until today so, in, in various forms. So I saw something on the news about something about Israel. Does this have to do with that? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's the Bible coming to life for you. It is. Yes, yes, I understand. But it's an example of it. Okay. Listen. So the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring of water in the desert. The spring was by the road to Shur. The angel said, Hagar, Sarai's slave girl, why are you here? Where are you going? Hagar said, I'm running away from Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Sarai is your owner. Go home to her and obey her. The angel of the Lord also said, from you will come many people, too many to count. That's a blessing, okay? Especially back then, it was considered a blessing to have many descendants. The angel, then the angel of the Lord said, Hagar, you are now pregnant and you will have a son. You will name him Ishmael because the Lord has heard that you were treated badly. Ishmael will be wild and free like a wild man. He will be against everyone and everyone will be against him. He will move from place to place and camp near his brothers. The Lord talked to Hagar. She began to use a new name for God. She said to him, you are God who sees me. That's the name she gave him, God who sees me. What do you think that means? Why did she, why did she call him God who sees me? Like what, was the, what was she feeling? What was the emotion that she felt when she call, decided to call God, God who sees me? Thankful. Thankful, okay. What do you think, Eva? You're grinning. What? Like, what do you think? Why would she say he sees me? Like, no, she, she, Eva has something else up her sleeve. What is? What do you think? I'm not thinking about noses. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, spit it out. Okay, yeah. fine. Leela, what do you think? God who sees me. Is that like a nice thing or a bad thing? Well, listen to what I, what I said a second ago. He, he said that you'll have a son, you'll name him Ishmael, and because the Lord has heard that you were treated badly. What does that mean when she says, God who sees me? Would you want a dad, who, a father who sees you or a father who doesn't see you? What does it mean to see you? What if, like, dad came home from work and he just pretended that you didn't exist? I just ignored you. You were like, hey, I'm hungry, and he just... Pretends that you're not even there. Or somebody was treating you badly and I didn't care. 
I didn't, I just ignored you. How would you feel? Would you feel seen? No, you wouldn't. But what if I paid attention to you, took care of you, defended you? Would you feel like I see you? I, 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 care, I care for you? That's what she meant. God who sees me. So even though Sarai was cruel, even though Sarai was cruel to Hagar, and even though Abram is, in, at least in this instance, was apparently spineless and didn't defend Hagar, God saw Hagar and God cared for Hagar and God cared for Ishmael too, okay? The Lord talked to Hagar. She began to use a new name for God. She said to him, you are God who sees me. She said this because she thought, I see that even in this place, God sees me and cares for me. So the well there was called Bir Lahai Roy. It is between Kadesh and Bered. Not beer. Well, I mean, yeah, beer, but not like the beer. <laughs> not I, that kind yeah, of beer. Kind of beer. <laughs> Hagar gave birth to Abram's son, Ishmael, and Abram named the son Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born from Hagar. Okay, that's the story of Ishmael. Okay, we're going to read one more chapter of Genesis before we move on. This is Genesis chapter 17. Now, there's this thing called circumcision. I don't know if you know what that means, but it's basically something that the Jewish people or the, uh, the Semite people, meaning people who descend from, you don't do that, people who descend from Abram, it's something they do to male, it's something they do to the, the boy parts of male, of boy babies when they're born, okay? They cut it in a certain way. People do that even today in hospitals, okay? What, you want to say something? Okay. Uh, and so this, this is called circumcision, okay? And it's a sign of having a relationship with God. Back then, it was a sign of having a relationship with God. So when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. He said, I am God all-powerful. Obey me and live the right way. If you do this, I will prepare an agreement between us. I will promise to make your people a great nation. Then Abram bowed down before God. God said to him, this is my part of our agreement. I will make you the father of many nations. I will change your name from Abram to Abraham, because I am making you the father of many nations. I will give you many descendants. New nations and kings will come from you. And I will prepare an agreement between me and you. This word agreement is also called a covenant. This agreement will also be for all of your descendants. It will continue forever. I will be your God and the God of all your descendants. And I will give this land to you and to all your descendants. I will give you the land you are traveling through, the land of Canaan. I will give you this land forever and I will be your God. This part's very important. I will give, he tells Abraham, I will give you this land forever. Now, if he's saying forever, Abraham's not going to live forever, right, Eva? Who's going to, when he says forever, who's he referring to? Not Abraham, but who? His land. Huh? His land, Abraham and his people. His pe there's people, right, his descendants, right? So today, Ab who are Abraham's descendants? The Arab people. And who else? Uh, Jews. Right. They're, they're both Abraham's descendants. 
And so when he says, I will give this to you and to all your all of your descendants, that's kind of it kind of gives you an idea of the fact that they're fighting today, right? Because they're fighting over, hey, we're descendants of Abraham, you're descendants of Abraham. Which one of us deserves to have this land? Okay. I will give you this land forever and I will be your God. Yes, Leela. Nobody deserves anything. <laughs> That's true. Nobody deserves anything. That's right. We don't deserve things. But They're gifts to us. But don't they both deserve the land? Because God said that uh, his descendants should get the land. So if God said... He didn't just say your descendants. He said all of your descendants, which you, you're right. That includes Arabs and includes Jews too. So yes, you and I sitting here in a comfortable room in America... We think that, yes, they should, you know, both get to share it. But it's not that simple. And you'll see why in a minute. Let's keep moving. Then God said to Abraham, now this is your part of the agreement. You and all your descendants will obey my agreement. This is my agreement that all of you must obey. This is the agreement between between me and you and all your descendants. Every male must be circumcised. You will cut the skin, the skin of the boy parts, to show that you follow the agreement between me and you. When the baby boy is eight days old, you will circumcise him. Every boy born among your people and every boy who is a slave of your people must be circumcised. So every baby boy in your nation will be circumcised. Every boy who is born from your family or brought or bought as a slave will be circumcised. Abraham, this is the agreement between you and me. Any male who is not circumcised will be cut off from his people because he has broken my agreement. Now, here's the story of Isaac. Okay, so we have Ishmael, and now we're talking about Isaac. Yes, Isaac Newton, very funny. <laughs> God, say to, God said to Abraham, I will give Sarai your wife, a new name. Her new name will be Sarah. I will bless her. I will give her a son and you will be the father. She will be the mother of many new nations. Kings of nations will come from her. Abraham bowed his face to the ground to show he respected God. But he laughed and said to himself, (laughs) I'm a hundred years old. I can't have a son. And Sarah's 90 years old. She can't have a child. Then Abraham said to God, I hope Ishmael will live and serve you. God said, no. I said that your wife, Sarah, will have a son. You will name him Isaac. I will make my agreement with him that will continue forever with all his descendants. You mentioned Ishmael, and I heard you. I will bless Ishmael. And he will have many children. He will be the father of 12 great leaders. His family will become a great nation. But I will make my agreement with Isaac, the son who Sarah will have. He will be born at the same time next year. After God finished talking with Abraham, God went up into heaven. Then Abraham gathered together Ishmael and all the slaves born in his house. He also gathered all the slaves he had bought Every man and boy in Abraham's house was gathered together, and they were all circumcised. Abraham circumcised them that day, just as God had told him to do. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised. 
Abraham and his son were circumcised on the same day. Also, on that day, all the men in Abraham's, Abraham's house were circumcised. All the slaves born in his house and all the slaves he had bought were circumcised. So that is a story of the origin of Ishmael and Isaac. You guys understand? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so now let's talk about Isaac. Okay, so Abraham had a son, had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, right? And Isaac had a son named? Two sons. Well, two sons. You guys know these names. I think one of them would take No. What? One of them. We said one of them had red hair. Uh, Jacob and Esau? Jacob and Esau, okay. Jacob and Esau. Well, the, the, the stew. The, the stew, stew thing, thing yeah. yeah. So we don't, we, Isaac, or, uh, Esau doesn't really have much of a story in the Bible, but Jacob had 12 sons, right? So these are the grands, Jacob is the grandson of Abraham, and Jacob's sons, 12 sons, are the great-grandchildren of Abraham. These 12 sons are the 12 twi- tribes of Israel, Okay. And these 12 tribes were in slavery in Egypt for hundreds of years. And who led them out of Egypt? Moses. Moses did. Let my people go free. Let my people go free, exactly. And so Moses led them to the promised land, eventually to what today is called the state of Israel. So if you look on the map, the map I showed you a minute ago, look in the Middle East or the Near East, right? Just along the Mediterranean Sea, on the easternmost side of it, there is a land called the State of Israel. Okay? And they, Moses led them to this general area of the world. You understand, Eva? Okay. Uh, and when they were led to the promised land, they, the, the nation was called Israel. And they were called the Israelites. And they occupied what is today called the state of Israel. And religiously, they were called Jews. Okay? Ethnically, they're Israelites. Religiously, they're called Jews because they're, that's a religion, right? So over the centuries, for different reasons, a lot of Jews left that land. They left their homeland. And they went to other parts of the world. So there were, you know, very few Jews left in the in. We're going to call it their homeland, the, the, the Near East, okay? Not too many Jews left there, but there were a lot of Arabs still left there. So the Jews went to Europe and to like Eastern Europe and Russia, other parts of the Middle East. And so the majority of the population in the Near East became Arab, okay? It was mostly Arab and very few Jews. And these Arab people descended from who, Eva? Not, not Sarah. Sarah, the Arab people, not the Jews. The Jews descended from Isaac and Sarah. The Arab people descended from Ishmael. Yeah, okay, Ishmael, and his mother, Sammy. <laughs> Hagar. Okay. Uh, so, so, so you had a bunch of Arabs living there, and the Jews had basically, uh, in, in large numbers, had, had left the Near East. Uh, now, around the year, this is a long time ago, right? So fast forward to the year, around the year 1900, so a little bit over 100 years ago. The Jews in all the different countries started to 
you know, experienced persecution and hardship for all kinds of different reasons. And there had been a, a desire for a long time for all the Jews of the world to come back to the Near East to form their own country, a country for the Jews. And they wanted to call that country Israel, okay? Which would be a homeland for the Jewish people. So some of the Jews and like these Jewish organizations that wanted this to happen, they started inviting Jews from all over the world to come back home. And they were buying up large amounts of land for the Jews to move back. And so you started seeing like tens of thousands of Jews starting to move back to the Near East on these, these pieces of land that these people had bought for them. And more and more Jews kept coming. And so if you're an Arab person or you're, you're a leader of the Arabs uh, living in the Near East and you see all these tens of thousands of Jews coming back, what are you thinking? You start to get concerned, right? You start to get a little worried, like, hey, what's going on? Yeah. They get an Amazon gift card for the land. <laughs> no. Uh, Eva, what do you think? What do you, if you're an Arab person living back then, you see all these tens of thousands of Jews moving into your, into what into a land that you occupied and has been your homeland for a long time, what would you think? That they're trying to steal it from me. You're trying to steal it from me, yeah. So... More and more Jews kept coming and the Arabs start to get concerned. And they were concerned about the Jews because they were Jews, but they were also concerned because a lot of these Jews were coming from other countries like Russia. And they were concerned that, hey, these Jews might still care about and love Russia and they might want to help Russia like against us. And at the time, us means the Ottoman Empire. And that's not really important for now. So as more and more Jews came, things started to get kind of like heated between the Arabs and the Jews, right? So it started out as like minor fights between individuals. Uh, some Jews, Jewish people or individuals will be attacked on one day. And on the next day, some Arab individuals will be attacked. But it kept growing and growing and getting worse. And then eventually, instead of just seeing these fights as just like a few bad guys doing bad things, the Arabs started to see the problem as being, quote, the Jews, like as a whole group. And the Jews started seeing the problem as being, quote, the Arabs or the Muslims as a whole group. Okay, what does the quote mean? Quote, uh, forget the quote, the quote doesn't matter. But it just means that the Jews and the Arabs started seeing each other as the enemy. Do you understand? So around the time of World War I and World War II, so now we're fast-forwarding about 20 to 40 years, okay? Uh, the Jews were able to work with some of the other countries and groups like the, the United Nations to form a country called the State of Israel, okay? Well, in America, we, say, we pronounce it Israel. Uh, my best attempt at pronouncing it the correct way is Israel. Um, didn't, didn't it become a country in the 1960s? 1948. Okay. 1948, the state of Israel was born. And so in, in, that's the same, same year that your grandfather, Dada, was born. And so now the Jewish people had a homeland, right? This was their country. They had very few people there, but, and they had lived there a long time ago, right? Moses had led them to this, this part of the world. But they left, and now they're coming back, and there's lots of them coming back. And now they've got a country. And the Arab people, they don't have a country. 
Sorry, so we, let's call them the Palestinian people, okay? Because there's an, a region in like southern Syria in that general area that's called Palestine. And so the Arabs living there, you can generally call people in that area Palestinians, okay? So the Palestinians did not have a country, but the, the Jews had a country, a homeland for the Jews. Now, do you think there's any advantages to having a country? If, you, if, you're against, if there's two groups fighting over land, do you think there's any advantages if you're able to form a country and your enemy is not? Sure. What's, what's an advantage you might have if you're able to form a country and your enemy cannot or has not? Then you can just take it without the other country taking it. You can have better armies. Can you talk louder, guys? You can have better armies, better supplies. Yeah, and exactly. Borders. Exactly. Borders, supplies, military, money, taxes, government. Uh, healthcare, education, hospitals, medical. I mean, you have all these things that a disorganized people without a country does not, they do not have. Yes. Okay. So, um, the Arab people in this region, and like I said, you can call them Palestinians. Uh, they didn't have their own homeland. And so, so some groups had proposed that the Jews would get a country and the Palestinians would get a country. That seems fair, right? Each, I mean, they're fighting over this land. They both have been here for thousands of years. It's fair just to split it up, right? Each, each group gets, gets a country. That's fair, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it didn't work out that way. Because once the state of Israel become a country in 1948, guess what happened? All of the Arab countries surrounding Israel attacked them. It started a war. And, of course, Israel defended itself, right, as it has a right to do. It defended itself. And so now you have a big war going on. So Israel pushes the enemy back. They beat them back, all the Arab countries. But now Israel ends up taking more land than they had originally agreed to. Originally, it was like Israel would get 50% and the Palestinians would get, or the Arabs would get 50%. But Israel ended up taking 50% plus some, like more than 50, because this war started. And Israel thought, well, if you're going to, if you're going to attack us, invade us, well, forget you, we're going to take more. Screw you. We're going to take more of your land. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes. The Israelites got 75%. I don't know if it's 75%, but they got a lot of the land and they occupy a lot of it too today. So anyway, um, so, so that's what happened, right? So now you have sort of Israel has more of the land than they, they're supposed to have. They're occupying their land. They're occupying Palestinian land. And so now it's becoming very contentious because now the Palestinians are like, dude, you're in our land. This was supposed to be ours. And the Israelites are like, well, you know, you, you're the ones who started this. We, we agreed to have, to have this split and you didn't live by that, right? So uh, they've been fighting violently ever since. I mean, it's just war after war after war. You can make a comment if it's productive, not if it's a joke. What is it? Okay, let's keep moving. It's a lot of stuff to get through today, and we don't want to just take breaks for jokes all the time. So here's where we are today. Okay, let's fast forward to today. You have two groups of people, the Israelites, or not Israelites, but the Jews in Israel, and you have the Palestinians. And they keep fighting over this land. And it's very important land. It's the most expensive and important 
and holy land in the world because it's the, it's the most important land for three of the biggest religions in the world. Anybody know who they are? Uh, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. That's right. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And these two groups and the ancestors of these two groups have been occupying this land and fighting over this land for thousands of years. And they've both been there for thousands of years. So you can't really say that like that one was there before the other, right? I mean, technically Ishmael was born 15, 20 years before Isaac, but they've both been there and their descendants have been there for millennia. So some of the basis of the disagreement or the dispute there is who was there first. I think another basis for the disagreement is that one group of people says, God promised us this land, and the other group says, no, God promised us this land. Well, God promised them both the land. Did he? He did. He said all, he he was talking to Abraham, and he said, all of your descendants. Mm -hmm. That includes Isaac, but it also includes Ishmael and the Arabs. That's that's pretty interesting because it says in that prophecy about Ishmael, it says that he is going to be a wild donkey of a man, and uh, his hand... His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. Well, you can't be amongst enemies unless you're living alongside them, you know, in this land that you're sharing. Um, I mean, yeah, but like if that was the prophecy that God had, that he will always be at odds with people, other people. I mean, that can happen anywhere in the world. It doesn't have to be Jews, right? I mean... What, this, the nation of America has had a war going on with Muslim extremists for 20 plus years. So um, anyway, that's neither here nor there, but it's an interesting point. So because the Jews were able to form their own country, they became very advanced in military capability. They have superior technology and superior armed forces. And Palestinians don't have a country of their own. Not really. And they rely on groups that are often considered to be terrorist groups like Hamas. You probably heard that name, right? Hamas. Sounds familiar. Hamas is, uh, I mean, some people consider a terrorist group. Some people consider them to be heroes, depending on which side you're on, right? It sounds to, like Hamas. They, they count on Hamas to defend them. Um, okay, so before we start to get into discussion, I want to read one more passage of the Bible to you. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Luke 10.25 Then an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He said, Teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? What do you understand from it? The man answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. Also, love your neighbor the same as you love yourself. Jesus said, your answer is right. Do this and you will have eternal life. But the man wanted to show that the way he was living was right. So he said to Jesus, but who is my neighbor? To answer this question, Jesus said, a man was going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Some robbers surrounded him tore off his clothes, and beat him. Then they left him lying there on the ground, almost dead. It happened that a Jewish priest was going down that road. When he saw the man, he did not stop to help him. 
he walked away. Next, a Levite, which is another Jewish person, came near. He saw the hurt man, but he went around him. He would not stop to help him either. He just walked away. Then a Samaritan man traveled down that road. Do you know what a Samaritan is? They're people who don't get along with the Jews back then, okay? Well, that's not quite exactly accurate, but they're a sect of people who did not get along with like the main community of Jews, okay? They were considered unclean by the Jews. They were considered sort of like outcasts, like stay away from me. You're, you're my mortal enemy. Okay. So then a Samaritan man traveled down that road. He came to the place where the hurt man was lying. He saw the man and felt very sorry for him. The Samaritan went to him and poured olive oil and wine on his wounds. Then he covered the man's wounds with cloth. The Samaritan had a donkey. He put the hurt man on his donkey, and he took him to an inn. There he cared for him. The next day, the Samaritan took out two silver coins and gave them to the man who worked at the inn. He said, take care of this hurt man. If you spend more money on him, I will pay it back to you when I come again. Then Jesus said, which of these three men do you think was really a neighbor to the man who was hurt by the robbers? Was it the priest? Was it the Levite? Or was it the Samaritan? The teacher of the law answered, the one who helped him, the Samaritan. Jesus said, then you go and do likewise. Then you go and do the same. Okay? Okay. So keep that in mind as you answer these questions. Okay, so when it comes to religion, Jerusalem is the center of the world. It's a holy city for Jews and for Christians and Muslims. If there was a country established for the Jews, which there is, Israel, and a country of Palestine, who do you think should get Jerusalem? If there's two countries established, Israel and Palestine, which one should get the holy city? Anyone? No, you're asking no Anybody. One. I'm asking anybody to answer the question, who should get Jerusalem? Israel. Or the Jews. Why? Why? Because, um, because God promised the land to be theirs. He promised it to be all of Abraham's descendants. It belongs to all of his descendants. The word all is used. Is Ishmael and the Arabs, are they descendants of Abraham? Yeah. Well, then God promised it to them too. So who should get Jerusalem? The holy city. share it. They could share it. Well, like one side could get half, the other side could get the other half. Well, okay, but like where the temple was. Um, Solomon's temple. Right. That is like the most holy place. So how I mean, do you like split that up? Well, but, but, but the crucial point you're missing is that the temple is there and there's now a mosque built on there that's been there for a long time. Right. So that, that exact site is super important to both Muslims and Jews. It's a Muslim uh, place of worship, like a temple or a church. Then 
Um, or synagogue. Shouldn't the borderline be like in between the temple? Cut the temple in half? Well, well, well what if they want the whole temple? Why don't they share the temple, but like make the line go around it or over it? Draw a line down the middle? No, I'm not, like I'm saying. With a Sharpie. <laughs> like, um, cut the land in half and then stop at the temple and continue at the other But side. then who do, who owns the temple, though? It can't be nobody's. Half of the temple is one side, the other half of the temple is the other side. Well, that's the whole thing. Half of it can be a temple and half of it can be a mosque. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I'm... Do you think they're going to go for that? No. Do they want to split up Jerusalem? Are they willing to give up Jerusalem? Okay, so if Jesus was sitting at this table, and he is, we're gathered, in, we're gathered in his name. There's more than two of us gathered in his name, or two or more of us, I should say. So Jesus is here. But if he was actually talking, speaking to us, physically present, what do you think he'd say about it? With my mighty hand, I shall do. <laughs> do what Eva said. <laughs> Well, I think that there's a big hint in this in the story of the Good Samaritan. What did Jesus say right before that story? I think it was very important that Dad read that part. What did Jesus say right before the story of the Good Samaritan? Do you remember? He said to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. I finished saying it first. So. Does that change your opinion on how how you feel about how that land should be divided or if it should be divided? Um, you could say, you can have the land. And we'll be like, no, you can have the No, no, I insist. You take it. Like, no, it's yours. <laughs> Let's share. I mean, I think that's, I mean, we laugh a little bit. That's kind of silly. But um, I think it's, as a Christian, I know this is going to be very controversial, but it says in the Bible, as a Christian, God makes promises to Isaac and to Ishmael. And he says to Isaac that he establishes covenant with Isaac and his offspring. Um, and to Ishmael, he says, I'm going to give you a great number of descendants and you're going to have hostility with the people around you. Um, so I, I think... You know, we're not, we don't have to try to help God out. I think we were just talking before about how Abram and Sarai were trying to help God out by offering up Hagar. And I think that a lot of times people are fighting over this, this land and this temple in the same way. They're trying to help God out um, with fulfilling this promise he said he was going to make. Um, but I, I don't think that he really, God really needs our help per se, in accomplishing what he's going to accomplish. I really don't think that the fight is primarily religious. I don't think it's the Muslims and Jews saying, God promises to us, no God promises to us. I, I don't think they're even thinking along those lines. I think, and, and I'm sure we have people listening to this who know more about this than we do, but I think that it is, we are Muslims, you are Jews, we're, we're separate people, because of our religions, but that's the extent of the religious part. The rest of it is, this is ours, no, this is ours. 
they're just fighting. They're not trying to like hasten the fulfillment of a prophecy. They're just fighting over land because they want it. That's theirs, and it's just territory. It's a very territorial dispute. And then everyone can run around and play stalker. Well, I wonder if it's like you're saying that it's just people fighting over land, but obviously this is a very special piece of land. It's most valuable real estate in the world. Right. So I think that it goes beyond just a land dispute because it's it's more than just land. Well, I'm not saying it's, it's just it's land. I'm saying it's a very important piece of land, but they're. There, it's not. I don't, I'm saying it's not like a primarily a religious dispute. I think that you have to. It has to be a religious re- dispute in order for it to be a land dispute. Because if you don't believe in the religion, then the land dispute doesn't mean anything. Right. So it's under the guise of religion, but I don't think it's like this. You know, God promised. The, 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 this is a fulfillment of God's promise to us. I don't think that's what most people are thinking when they're fighting over this land. It's just. It's much more like. Um, Animalistic isn't right. Primal. It's much more it's just people fighting because they like to fight. Yeah, this, this is ours. Well, this is ours. I mean, that, that's the extent of it, right? And then I don't think they're thinking deeply about prophetic, uh, you know, ful- fulfillment. I mean, I don't. I've I've never been there, so I don't really know firsthand. Um, I do think there's probably an element of of people fighting for the sake of fighting or fighting over land because it's it's valuable land. Um, but I, I, I absolutely believe that it is prophecy coming true that, you know, it says here that Ismail and his descendants are going to have their hands against everyone and everyone's hands against them. That's just, they're, they're doing what God has said that they were going to do. Um, and I think that, you know, the Bible also says that Isaac is the son of the covenant, um, he has a special agreement with God. Um, yeah, but not over the land. No, not well. Does he? No, he does not. God promised it to all of Abraham's descendants. Okay. Now he now, did establish Moses, the temple. Well, in but that land. If you look at the whole story of Moses and God bringing them to the promised land, that was promised to them. But there's also a promise here that. All of, the, all of Abraham's descendants would get that land. So clearly it needs to be, to, for them to be consistent promises, the land is to be carved up in some way, somehow. I'm not sure exactly how, but somehow for those both both those promises to be true. Yes, Eva? You said Ismail. Mm. Ishmael. Some people say Ismail and some people say Ishmael. It's a, it's a version of the same, same name. Oh, I thought you were... Um, so anyway, uh, okay, let me ask you this. How should the borders be drawn? I don't think there should be borders. I think that we should do what Jesus said and love uh, your neighbor as yourself. Shouldn't be borders. Come on. What does that mean? You're one of those people who doesn't believe in borders? No, I'm saying in this particular instance that it should be a love your neighbor as yourself, and then the border issue doesn't become nearly as important anymore. Yeah, in a kumbaya world, but that's, I mean, that is... I can be idealistic. That is an imperative to Christian believers by Jesus to love your neighbor as yourself. In, in, in practice, not everyone is going to live that out, especially people who are not Christians in the first place. So if you have 
Muslims and Jews who have been fighting over this very valuable piece of land for a very, very long time, and they don't have that imperative on them, then are they going to play nice like that? That's not realistic. No, I, I think it absolutely is. And I think that that is part of our duty as a Christian is to love your neighbor as yourself, even when your neighbor's trying to kill you. Leela, what do you think? Where should the borders be drawn? The borders, be, if, if Israel gets, a, if uh, the Jews get a country called Israel and the Palestinians get a country, let's call it Palestine. It doesn't exist, but let's call it Palestine. How should the borders be drawn? How will they agree on how to draw the borders? What would Jesus want them to do? Maybe use a bunch of weird stones. Maybe use some weird stones or something. To do what? To build the border. Just put down some rocks. This is Trump Jr. If you don't know my daughter, she wants to build a wall with a bunch of stones. Um, Super, so super glue and rocks. But how should they draw the line? Like, like where? How should they decide? Where? Where, where should the line be? Where should the border be? They look at a map and then draw a sharpie. Okay. A they sharpie draw. and a map. <laughs> what do you think, Noah? Uh, well, uh, the border should just be where it was before. Like that. Um, there was no border. Oh wait, go ahead. I'm sorry. Like God promised the land, so there must have been a border back then. No. No such luck. Well, he did give them, um, when they came into the promised land, he gave them, you know, boundaries of, you know, how far your land extends and where each tribe is supposed to live. So I think that perhaps that is the basis for which people are saying that Israel should have their land. However... I mean, what, the Palestinians are supposed to leave? Like, they've lived here for millennia. They're supposed to just, like, vacate their land and go where? Who's going to take them? Or what they could do is... um, so the, the temple is like the main part of it. So what they could do is half of it because it comes to one side, the other half is one side. But the temple belongs to no one. So here's what I think. If you go forward in the Bible, we're in Genesis right now, but if you continue forward in the Bible, you know, Israel has this land and they have a lot of, um, Israel has a lot of trouble with their relationship with God. They fall away and come back and fall away. And eventually, um, you know, we talked about before how God was like, okay, I'm giving you over to your, your sin. And so Israel was invaded by the Assyrians and by the, um, oh, who are the other ones? I'm drawing a blank here. Anyway, they were invaded by people from the north. And um, they lost that land. The temple was destroyed. And they, you know, they went back and rebuilt it. And they tried again and they tried again. And I think that the necessary element here is Jesus. Um, because with Jesus, as us being Christians, our body becomes the temple. Um, and there's lots of evidence throughout Scripture of, of our body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that, you know, when Jesus dies um, on the cross, you know, the temple, the, the, the veil is torn. Like, you know, we no longer have this separation between us and God. And I think that um, I, I think that we as Christians sort of have this advantage of, of being of having the Holy Spirit in us, we don't have to have this land. Uh, and that is God's solution, I think, to this issue that we have Christ. He is our salvation. He is our hope. Um, it is a promise fulfilled, and yet we're still waiting for it to be fulfilled. Um, and, you know, God doesn't need a piece of land in order to fulfill his covenant with us. Well, that's convenient for us as Christians. Sure. What about 
the Jews and the Muslims who don't have that well, covenant. Well, like I said, uh, the, the temple could belong to no one, uh, but half of the land belongs to one side, the other half belongs to the other. So that's what they originally, that's what the original plan was, exactly what you said. They carved out Jerusalem and I think Bethlehem, which is very close to, it's like almost a suburb of Jerusalem. It's very close as belonging to nobody. Okay. It didn't belong to either side. They were going to have Israel. They were going to have basically the Palestinian country as well. And the Arabs didn't agree with that. They said, no, the Jews don't belong here. We've lived here for a very long time. Jews were in other countries. Let them go back to Europe. Let them go back to Russia. This is our country. This is our land. And the, the Jews don't have a place here. Do you, what do you, do you, are you sympathetic to that, Noah? Do you, do you think, do you see what the, do you understand why the Arabs or the Palestinians felt that way about the Jews? Or do you agree with it or disagree with it? Or what? I, I disagree with it because they said that they don't have a place there, but they do because they're both descendants, so they both have a place there. Well, by God's word, yes, they're both entitled to the land. God's but word is the reason why they're doing it. Well, yes and no. I mean, they identify as Muslims and they identify as Jews based on religion. But again, I think that's where it stops. After that, they're just fighting because that's just their group. It's called tribalism, right? I mean, you don't think about the Declaration of Independence every time you identify as an American. If you go to fight in a war, you don't always think about, oh, you know, this country was founded on the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights and all these things. You don't think about those things. You just think about, I'm an American, you're the enemy, I'm going to fight you. That's all you think about. It's very surface level. And so the same way here, You've got people who are Jews and Muslims who, yes, they believe in what in their respective religions, but they're fighting just because they're Jews and Muslims. I mean, this is my land. This is my land. They just can't get along. So, okay, let's move on to another question. When Israel was formed and the Arab countries attacked Israel, Israel pushed out a lot of Palestinian people okay, from, from, from Israel from land where the Palestinian people had lived for ages. Now, these Palestinians today, these Palestinians want to return to their homes in Israel. Should Israel allow them to return? Because remember, if they do, if they allow the Palestinians to return to their land, then it's very possible that Jews will become, minor become a minority in their own country. All of a sudden, Israel will be majority Arab Muslim as opposed to Jewish. What would you do? So what do I think that Israel, like how should Israel respond or how, how if, should they respond? If you were a king of Israel, if you were King David, modern King David, what would you do? What is it, Riva? What would be you do? Be complaining about how much my back hurts. No. I'm not sure that's Christine. What were you going to say? I don't know. I I think it's you're not going to find a solution outside of love your neighbor as yourself. Like I don't. Mm. I think that's what all of these issues, these conflicts, come back to is that you know we we can't find a solution because we're looking for ev looking at everything besides love your neighbor as yourself, and we're not going to have peace there until we can get that part right. That's deep. Eva, what do you think? 
without a squeak. <laughs> okay, Eve is still battling her stomach ache. A lot of Christians, especially in America, they favor Israel. And there's probably different reasons why, but I think part of it's because the Old Testament part of the Bible tells us that Israelites were God's chosen people. And the Bible also tells us that God has special plans for the Jewish people in the future. Does this mean that God likes or cares more about Jews than Palestinians or than Muslims? No. We'll explain that. He cares about everyone the same. God cares about everyone the same? Mm-hmm. Are you sure about that? Yes. Why are you sure? What's your... So. Can you sit up, please, and talk into the microphone so people can hear you? Explain where he, where, where do you get that he says so? What's your basic? I mean, he says he loves everyone the same, which is basically the same as he cares about everyone the same. Okay. Hmm. Can you read the question one more time? So the fact that. Uh, in the Old Testament, you read about the Israelites being God's chosen people, mm-hmm. or you read about how uh, God has special plans for the Jewish people in the future. Even in the New Testament, you read some things like that. Does this mean that God likes or cares about Jews more than Palestinians or than Muslims? Well, no, he chose them, but that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean you care about them. Like, um, that's like you giving one of us something. But that doesn't mean that you love one of us more than the other. Very good. That is exactly right. And that's a great example or analogy as well. You hit the nail on the head. So I, I agree. I think that, um, you know, like God's redemptive plan applies to all the Gentiles of the world. And Gentiles include Muslims. Meaning that Jesus died for Muslims too. And he had died for them because he loves them too, right? He died for the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that all who should believe him should not, all who believe him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So he loved the whole world while we were sinners. And that includes Gentiles and includes Jews and Muslims and Palestinians fall into that category as well. So no, I don't think that God loves or cares for the Jewish people more than the Palestinians or than than he loves the Muslims. Um, I might argue that he has more concern for those who uh, are do not currently fall under his covenant. Um, yeah, maybe. I think that, again, goes back to loving your neighbor as yourself. I think that the whole point of him saying that is because he wants all of his children to, like he said, like he's, when Jesus cries over Jerusalem and he says, you know how I've longed to, to take you under my wing as a mother and um, yet you refuse. And I think that it's the same thing that he's wanting to pull all of the nations under his wing and they're refusing. And I don't think that the fighting over there is, is helping that situation at all. I think that it's making it worse. Mm-hmm. So again, it goes back to if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're allowing God, showing people how God can, you know, draw you under his wing and, and protect you and take care of you like a mother. Yeah, that's good. Um, 
If God seems to favor the Israelites or the Jews, should we favor Israel too? Even when Israel is killing innocent children in Palestinian land? No. And that doesn't mean that Palestinians or Hamas is not doing similar things. That I'm not saying that they're not also guilty of these things. I'm simply saying that Israel is doing these things. That's a fact. And if God seems to favor Israelites, should we favor Israel too? I think that and we... I'm sorry, I shouldn't say Israelites. I should say the people of Israel or the nation of Israel. I think that we need to keep in mind that God does have a covenant with Israel, even still to this day. Um, but bearing that in mind, I don't think that that means that it's right to show favoritism. I'm looking for that, that verse in James where it says, do not show favoritism. Um, you know, just because somebody walks in and they're wearing nice clothes or whatever, it does not mean that, you know, you get to give him a place of honor. Um, you know, just because somebody quote unquote owns this land does not mean that, um, they are favored by God any more than anybody else. Um, if anything, God loves the poor and the destitute. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know. I think it really goes completely against the way that, the vast majority of people think about this issue. What do you think, Noah? Should, if God seems to favor the Jews, historically he seems to have favored the Jews, should we do the same thing? Should we politically support Israel? Should we send them money? Should the United States back them and support them in this fight? Actually, no, let me take that, let me take that United States part out. Um, even when Israel is doing these terrible things to, to civilians in Palestine or Palestinian land, should, should we support Israel? Do you understand the question? Is that clear? Yes, I understand okay. the question. Well, they still... Well, they... There's just still, um, I don't know. So I, I, I don't think we should favor Israel simply because God does. God, fa I'm sure you found something dynamite in there, but God favors Israel. God does certain things. That's part of God's plan for, for his own actions, for his own behaviors. But God's, directives or God's commands to us may be different than what he himself is doing. So for example, God may on the one hand favor Israel as part of his greater plan over the centuries, over the, the, the course of scripture, over the course of human history. But on the, at, the same, at the same time, Jesus tells a story of, this, of the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Jesus tells us to love our enemies even. So the command to us, regardless of what God is going to do, God is a parent. He, he does whatever he feels like doing. But his command to us as his children is to be, to not show favoritism, to be uh, kind and loving to everybody. And to, to, I don't think we're supposed to support Israel just because 
they're favored in God's eyes or they've historically been favored and they have a covenant in God's eyes. Christine, what did you find? Um, so I was looking at this, uh, I was referencing James about favoritism and I thought this was really, really cool. Um, so it says, listen, my beloved brothers, this is chapter two, verse five. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? So again, it goes back to who are his heirs, who, who gets his inheritance, and it's the ones who are poor in the world. And yet people fighting over this land are striving for wealth over you know, this most valuable piece of land. It says, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, which we've talked about so much already, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So it goes right back to what I was saying, that if you're showing partiality, you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. And I think that by saying, you know, well, God promised this land to the Jews, therefore we hate the Palestinians. We've broken the law. We're transgressor, transgressors. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, uh, last question and we'll wrap it up. What do you think God expects us? What do you think God expects you to do in all of this? Do you have a role? Let's go around the table and ask, Leela, what do you think? This fight between Israel and the Palestinians, that this fight has been going on for thousands of years, ever since Ishmael and Isaac were born. They're fighting over this land, right? What do you think God expects us to do in this? Are we, do we, have, are we supposed to do something? Do we have a role in this? Should we pick up some rocks and start fighting? Should we pick up some rocks and build a wall? What should we do? And let me ask you this. Think of one thing in the Bible that God says to us about this thing, about this topic. Can you think of one thing that God says? Anything? Okay, love your neighbor as yourself. So if God says love your neighbor as yourself, what, should, what does that mean you should do in this situation? Let's say, I, I know you don't live there, right? You live here in America. But let's say you have $1,000, and you can give that $1,000 to help Israel. You can give that $1,000 to help Pal pa the Palestinian people. Or you can give that $1,000 to send medical supplies and to help people who have been injured in the fighting in Israel and in Palestine. What would you do? I think I'd do the last one. Can you talk real loud into the microphone so people can hear you? I think I'd do the last one. The last one? So why, why do you choose that one? Yeah. Because you're helping all of them at the same time. Well, like not at the same time, but... I agree. I would do that. I'm showing love to everybody. I'm not being partial or showing favoritism to anybody. I'm just doing my best, the best thing I can do to help everybody. And loving my neighbor as myself, loving my enemies as, as I would love my own, my own self, right? Uh, Christine, what, what do you think our role is? Um, it made me think about in Matthew 5, um, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you 
so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So again, it goes back to that whole inheritance. This is how you behave, like your Father in really, heaven. Really, it's about transcending this, right? It's sort of transcending this and being bigger than a fight, than a fight, a territorial dispute. Mm-hmm. But it's very easy for us to say that sitting here, you know, living in a prosperous nation, when the reality for people on the ground over there is very different. Um, so I hesitate to say like they're doing it wrong because I'm not walking in their shoes. I, I don't have to live their life. You know, sure. it, it's tougher in many ways. Noah, what do you think? What's our role? Well, right now we don't really have a role because we're not Muslims or Jews and we haven't done anything to them yet. So No, but we have a role because you are you are a Christian, you have a God, you have Jesus who has told you how to live your life, and you have the opportunity to impact what's going on there in some small way. Or maybe even a big way by the way you vote or how you send money to charities over there. What can you do? What is our role? What is our our role in this? You should never think you don't have a role in, in the world's affairs. You do. Even if it's small, you have a role. You have a voice. There's always almost always something you can do. Say it real loud and clear. I could just send money for them to buy something. Send financial aid to who? Um, both sides, because God said they can both have it. Okay. So that's a little bit of different justification than Leela and I had for sending money, but that's equally good. Uh, Eva, I think, has collapsed in a pile of goo on the floor from her stomach ache. So I think she's going to try to... Are you coming? Do you have an opinion on this or not really? Huh? Okay, that's fine. She doesn't fine. know what to say. She's, she's feeling pretty crummy, so we'll, we'll, we'll skip on her. Um, I think that's it for now. I thought it was a really good discussion. It was interesting. Uh, interesting and a little bit unusual for us. So um, it's run a little bit long compared to our usual time. So with that, uh, a minute, or sorry, an hour and like... 15 minutes or so, roughly. So uh, that's episode eight in the books. Have a good night. Bye. Bye.